think the key with the shift, in my mind anyway, is to frame it as to whether you, you've done it to yourself or whether external forces did it to you. I'm Brian Kramer. I believe that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is making smaller shifts. It's the small shifts in our lives that can create epic outcomes. Your journey to be more deeply connected into the life you truly deserve starts right now. Welcome to the Humanly Possible podcast. This podcast is created to remind us that being imperfect humans is our greatest competitive advantage. Listen in as inspiring new guests are here every week. This week, we've got one of my great friends and overall awesome person, Jonathan Becker. He is the president of the Shark Sports and Entertainment uh, uh, down at the arena here in San Jose and a former technology executive, formerly CEO of multi million dollar companies and the former CMO of SAP. I think we've been in now, what, three or four interviews and I love talking with Jonathan. There's always something that comes out of it. In fact, my H2H book was kind of born out of our first interview. So I'm really excited to have Jonathan back. How are you doing? Brian, I'm doing great. Thank you for having me back on. And I agree. I enjoy our conversations, not just when we do podcasts, but when we meet in real life as well. Oh, so true. I miss that. We'll have to make that happen. So I'd love to jump in and talk to you a little bit about um, shifts. I mean, <laughs> I, I think I think if we didn't have anything to talk about now, we would never have anything to talk about because there are many shifts that are happening right now, and in, especially in sports. Um, and with what's going on around, um, uh, you know, the pandemic and just in general in society, um, there's so many different shifts happening, and it can be daunting at times. But I'm curious what um, what's a what what felt what what feels to you like um, you know a shift at a certain point, uh, whether it's now or in your career, that ended up being a big shift for you. So something small that ended up being big, right? Yeah, that's right. Well, that would have to be a, a moment early in my career. And it was the time I walked out of a meeting, a business meeting, because I didn't believe in what was going on. So, all right, some context is probably necessary because that, that will seem strange. Um, first of all, uh, it might seem odd, but I have a degree in computer science. Um, it turns out I programmed for the first couple of years of my career. And in that first couple of years, I was in a meeting with the whole development team, I don't know, like 12 or 13 people. And we were debating what should go in the next release of software. Happens all the time, thousands of times a day here in Silicon Valley. And I was pretty young. I was right out of my career. So I don't know, 22, 23, something early in my career. And the senior engineer made this pronouncement, like it came from above. He said, this is what we're going to put in the next release, because that's what all the customers want. And everyone around this table shook their head in unison, like, yeah, yeah, that's right. And I, I had this epiphany. I, I guess you can call it a light bulb moment because I looked around at all of us, right? We're all in t-shirts and jeans and stuff like that. And none of us knew what customers wanted because none of us had ever met a customer. So how can we make this pronouncement? So I, I did something at the time I thought was radical. Remember, I'm a kid, which is I got up and left the meeting. It was still going on. I, and I wandered down the halls until I found a, it turned out to be a senior salesperson. And I asked him to take me to a customer on the spot. 
Now, <laughs> I know in retrospect, that seems like a really audacious ask, but, but he did it. I mean, he didn't even blink, as I recall. So we get in his car. And, and by the way, this meeting, this moment sort of builds because his car is this five or seven series BMW and I'm driving an entry level Toyota. And I remember taking notice of that. You know, I'm a kid. And I don't know, 15, 20 minutes later, I'm talking to one of our customers, right? First time. And it turns out, you can guess where the story is going, what the customer wanted wasn't even close to what we had just decided to build 20 minutes ago in the office. So we talked a bit about what he wanted. And as time went on and I asked him a bunch of questions, I became convinced we could build that. And the one thing that just jumped out at me is that back and forth was really intoxicating. It was just, not just fun, but it felt like I was problem solving life. With me so far? So, I don't know, to, to add insult to injury and to see why this little shift made such a big deal, the next day I was, I was going to use the same word, audacious again. I was in the cafeteria, the company cafeteria, and the head of development was at the same long table I was. And I went up and I just told him the story of what happened the previous day. And literally, so this is the boss's boss's boss, or I can't remember how the hierarchy worked. And almost instantly, he changed the priorities of our project from what we agreed to, well, they agreed to that meeting, to what I just learned from that one customer. Now, look, let's be clear. The senior engineer who was my boss or my boss's boss, I don't remember, wasn't very happy with what I did. But I have to tell you, I couldn't get out of my head that interaction I had with a customer. That's what I was obsessed with. And so not long after that, maybe a week, two, three, I can't remember exactly, I went and found that senior salesperson who I later discovered was the regional sales VP. I didn't know him beforehand. And I asked him if there was a job in sales that I could have that would let me do what I had done that day as a full-time gig because I loved it so much. And again, this is the beauty of growing startups, I guess. On the spot, he hired me as what was called a pre-sales engineer. And that walking out of meeting completely reset my career from being a development engineer and maybe eventually a development exec to focus on business because I never got an MBA. I got my MBA by entering sales and then going into marketing. And what's even more surprising and why that was such a small shift is that regional sales VP became my lifelong mentor and he's still my friend to this day. Uh, so all shifts, walk out of that room, change the course of my career. Wow. Wow. Oh my gosh. That's a good one. There's so many different, um, different things that happened in that, um, that whole story. Um, I'd love to kind of deconstruct, uh, maybe one or two things. Um, one is what, what lit you up about the customer? What was it about the customer that really got you like fascinated? I think as much as it was the back and forth, the customer saying, here's something that I don't know how to get solved in my organization. And I'd say, well, what if we could do that? And then he said, nah, that's not really going to help, but maybe that allows you to do this. And it felt like we started a mile apart. And for our uh, friends outside the U.S., maybe we started out many meters apart. And as we kept having this debate, the gap between what we were talking about kept closing and closing. And at the end, I was like, yeah, we can do this. And it, it, I don't know, if you're a puzzle solver, it's like putting that last piece of puzzle in the thing. If you're, if you're a murder mystery aficionado, it's like, they, oh, I know who did it. I mean, I had this sort of moment where the light went on. I was like, I got it. I know how that works. And that, that really lit me up. And, and 
I remember Ed, the, the guy who took me to that customer and who's still my lifelong friend and mentor, said I was buzzing in the car ride back. And that, that buzzing feeling is what I didn't want to get rid of. And that's how I knew I'd found something that was better for me. I enjoyed programming. I wasn't running away from that because it was puzzle solving in a way as well, but it was very isolationist. And being able to do it with somebody else is, I think, the big difference. You know, every time I'm around you, you're you're buzzing. Um, you've always got your uh, your these awesome ideas, things that um, I mean. Back when when I interviewed you and you were at SAP, um, I remember meeting you for the first time, and you were just so fascinated with. Uh, I think it was social media at the time. And then there was social selling and then there was, there were like at each point, it's been kind of neat to actually regroup with you uh, along the way. Um, here you are now at the, at the Sharks and, and seeing your career, at least just in the short time that we've known each other um, and the buzzing that happens at each point. And I'm curious, like where you've been CEO, you've been CMO, you've been president, you've, 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 you kind of covered the gamut. And in that, um, in that buzzing, where do you uh, and how do you look at the shifts in in your own life? Yeah, I mean, I, the throwaway part with that was say follow your passion, but but that's that's too simple. I, the, the key thing for me to tell you is most of these shifts in my life were not planned. I, I didn't sit down as an eight year old kid and say, okay, my friend Jill wants to be a fire person, my friend Joe wants to be an astronaut, I want to one day run a sports and entertainment franchise, and therefore here's the steps I'm going to take that. I never did that. And I, I mean, I have planned at times, but, but not like that. And so each shift in my life from software development to sales, to marketing, to startup CEO, to gigantic company exec, now the sports and entertainment, those sometimes happened within a company as the one I just told you about, where I said, oh, that I can stay in this org, but do something better. And sometimes it was, I need to go to a new company to get it. I think the key with the shift in my mind anyway is to frame it as to whether you, you've done it to yourself or whether external forces did it to you. So inside out or outside in, I guess. And you know, the story I said about moving from software development to sales, I made a conscious decision because I wanted to be closer to the customer. That's how I wanted to get my next buzz, if you will. It's going to be very weird. We're going to feel like a Joe Rogan podcast here pretty soon if we're not careful about this. Um, and even though that shift was uncomfortable for me, in some ways, I, I don't know how to do that job. I didn't even know that job existed until my friend, my now friend, not then, gave it to me. It never seemed intersurmountable to me because I threw myself into that void. I, I wanted to get closer to the customer. And so I said, I'm going to figure this out. I think it's when the shift is done to you, when it's outside your control, that it seems insurmountable. And, and obviously, we're all living through an example of that right now, a global pandemic. It's perfectly natural for us to feel a little bit helpless, yeah. especially, you know, when we all started shelter in place, because none of us have lived through this situation before. Well, I guess if you're over 100 years old and you were in the 1919 Spanish flu pandemic, maybe you have, but most of us haven't lived through this. So I think that framing of am I pushing myself to shift or the sand shifting around me is the key thing. That's such a great, um, actually a great on-ramp into uh, what is what does seem insurmountable. I mean, sports are not playing right now. 
this is like the strangest time on earth when no sports to watch. Like that is the craziest thing to me. Um, how, I mean, I know you don't have the answers, but how, how do you look at insurmountable? I mean, you've seen other insurmountable things in your life. How do you see whether it's this or other insurmountable things that you need to need to go after? So, uh, yeah, I mean, we're in the business of live sports and entertainment and the live part is the hard part right now, right? I mean, we can still do digital streaming and things like that, but it's not the same. And again, as context, in roughly 72 hours in early March, we went from hosting a hockey game with 17,000 people. Actually, that might be a game that you were there. I can't remember. You were there in good memory to planning for having an event with no fans a few days later to completely shut down and frankly uncertain when we're going to open up again. So you're right. That, that's a, you, that feels unsurmountable because there's no way you could have planned for that. Um, and, you know, it's been three months now, almost to the day since that happened. So what do we do? And my mental model of the way we tackle this insurmountable problem is like the old joke. How do you eat an elephant? So you eat the elephant one bite at a time. Yeah, I realize it's not actually ethical to eat elephants. It's just a visual metaphor of don't worry so much about the entire elephant. Start almost anywhere and you'll make progress. So as an example, one of the very first things I did is said, okay, we need to safeguard the company. Let's pivot the business to make it possible so that we can work from anywhere. Because if you're in the live entertainment business, unlike the technology business, you don't really have a work from home policy. Event people can't put on events from their home offices, right? So a lot of our technology wasn't in the cloud. We didn't really have policies of how you get things done. So we had to do that. And then we had to figure out ways to protect our workforce. We rely on a lot of part-time workers who are hurt hard by this pandemic. So let's make sure that they get paid. Let's raise a fund. Let's engage our workforce. I've done a lot of edutainment stuff via technology through our partner Zoom of bringing in new ideas. So that was the first step. And that took us, frankly, at least 60 days to get stable there. And then I went to, okay, now how do we restart even if it's in a limited capacity? And one of the things we can do is become much more digital than we were before. We've, we started, we didn't ever have an online streaming version. So we started streaming games on Twitch and they've been remarkably popular, um, partly because we did something different, which is we let fans in on the Twitch and they could play on the lines with their favorite players, sometimes active players, sometimes alumni players. And I mean, early on, two crazy things happened. Once is uh, one of the uh, players actually got injured uh, early in the game because we didn't know that there was a feature you could turn off being injured in a virtual game. I don't mean real life injured. I mean, digital injured. But then he got carried off to his bench and he live streamed some things. And it was a great experience for him. In fact, we had Doug Wilson, our GM, call him afterwards and see whether we need to put him on injured reserve. I mean, obviously it was more of a feel good kind of thing. We also had a fan who scored the game winning goal in overtime. So these are, again, not, I won't call them substitutes for live events, but ways that we can grow and change. And my sense is we'll continue to do these long after live events come back, whenever that is, because we found new ways to stretch the business. So the end of this sort of thing, not the end, I shouldn't say that, is that bite at the elephant is we develop a bunch of scenarios, I guess. If, if we were systems engineers by background, and I took a little bit of that in our school, we are literally doing scenario planning. And I, I don't want to make up a number because I don't know what it is, but we probably have 15 or 20 different scenarios now. If this happens, then we'll do this. 
if this happens, you know, may, maybe suites are the first to open because they're safer spaces. May, do we need a temperature check? Uh, do people need a time by which they can come into the building as opposed to come in whenever you want? If there are no fans, do we mic up fans on their couches at home and pipe their real voices in? If there are no fans, can we put new cameras so that there are different camera angles? Because normally they would block people's view, but if you're not in the building, they don't block your view. And do I let you as a fan control the camera maybe for the first time ever? Or because hockey fans believe, and I think they're right, different fans like different views. Maybe you don't just see one view on the TV, but you can pick which view. You, again, I don't want to necessarily say we're going to do all these, but we built a lot of what ifs, a lot of scenarios. And as we learn more, as county health officials learn more, as we evolve, some of these will go, yeah, this is the right one, and we'll feel more prepared. And others will go, well, that turned out to be a bad idea because you just can't do that. And the elephant will slowly get eaten. Wow. And my apologies to all animal lovers. I'm not actually eating an elephant, obviously. <laughs> I think we're all, uh, we're all imagining how tough that skin would be. Um, so, there, wow. I mean, yes, those are... When you think about it, it does feel insurmountable. When you put, when you break it down into each one of those things, just looking at each one, it's doable. But when you add add them all up, it's it's stressing me out just to hear it. Actually, compartmentalize yourself. I actually, I, very few of us try to look at it end to end on day one. There, there's this old um, AI technique called swarm intelligence, where you outsource little bits of ideas to different people. Because that way the problem seems more, less insurmountable, I guess, to use the phrase we've been using, and then bring it back to make sure they fit and then outsource it again. And we've been doing this sort of back and forth. And again, it's not perfect, but it really has evolved well in the last 30 to 60 days. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Well, let's leave off with this last, uh, uh, last question I have for you. you you're, obviously, you're leading at a, your leadership has uh, has changed in the last, <laughs> last four, four or five months. And so I'm curious as wh what a leadership lesson is that changed the way you now are approaching your own life. Well, we could, we could talk easily for an hour on this. And maybe I'll do my own shameless plug here. I write a lot about leadership lessons on my personal blog, jonathanbecker.com. So if anyone bothers to want to be no more, feel free to check it out. But if I only had to pick one, I'd pick the concept of don't be an accidental diminisher. So I have to give credit to a woman named Liz Wiseman and some research she did, I don't know, probably almost two decades now, maybe 15 years ago now, in a book called Multipliers, which I recommend. And the theme of the book is the best leaders make everyone around them smarter. Of course, they, they don't actually make them more intelligent, but it seems that way. Unfortunately, a large fraction of leaders are actually diminishers, and diminishers only get roughly half of the true brain power of their people. So instead of making them smarter, they make them appear even if it's not on purpose, dumber. And one of the core issues of the book is most people are accidental diminishers. It's not like the narcissistic things that we all read about in the headlines, et cetera. It's they don't do it on purpose. They're called accidental diminishers. And Wiseman and her team went through, and I think I found like 10 different behaviors of what accidental, accidental diminishers do. And there's even a, a quiz you can take to see if you're an accidental diminisher. And I've taken this quiz at multiple points in my life. In fact, I like to keep myself honest and try to do it yearly. And I, I don't always get it to it yearly, to be fair. So sorry, Liz. Um, but like many people, I, I over-indexed in two of them. I tend to be a rapid responder and a rescuer, and they're related. A rapid a rescuer 
doesn't want a person or a group to fail. So when they see a problem, they step in and fix it. The problem is a leader, if I step in and fix it, then everyone around me becomes dependent on the fixes and it also weakens their reputation. And particularly in crises like a pandemic, you know, my temptation is, no, no, time is urgent. I got to step in. I got to fix this for everyone. So I've learned to ask people what they think should be done to fix a problem, even when I'm pretty sure I know the answer already, and give them a safe space to answer. Um, frankly, it also helps me avoid something co called confirmation bias, where, you know, I think I know the answer, but I may not. On the other hand, rapid response is something I have to remind myself about all the time. I, I think I've gotten a lot better on not being a rescuer, but I'm still have the trait to be a rapid responder. And the issue is I'm always pushing for a faster pace. I, you said the buzz. I like things to happen, and, and I am an impatient, which means I'll, for example, answer an email that probably should be answered by somebody else. And because, you know, I'm CC'd, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know this. I'll just solve the problem right now. And that creates a similar problem as being a rescuer. So that means I've trained people that they don't need to answer because they know that Jonathan will get to it before they do. By the way, this is not just a business thing. This works really well in your personal life as well. If you're married, you know, being a rescuer or a rapid responder is not a very good thing to do as well. Uh, if you go to a cocktail party and you're a rescuer or rapid responder, you're always going to sound like that smartest person in the room, which people don't like. So, you know, my mental model is ask more. Frankly, it makes you much more interesting. So to go all the way back to your original question is be careful if you're an actual disminisher. And uh, you can take the quiz, go online, look for the book Multipliers, or just ask yourself, because this is the question that I, that I found, which I think Bob Sutton at Stanford University taught me, which is when you leave, do people feel more energized or less energized? If they feel more energized, you've done your job. If they feel less energized, you've probably been a diminisher. What a great way to leave, leave off with the interview. I, I am so, uh, so going to take that quiz and we're going to link to it and we'll link to, uh, the book and then we'll also link to your, uh, your website. I hope everybody goes over there because I, I do share a lot of your content and I love reading, reading a lot of it over, over the years and it's good stuff. So, uh, thank you so much, Jonathan. We, um, my hat's off to you for what you're, what you're doing to lead through this, this time as a, as a, uh, franchise and, and, getting through it all. I'm, 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 uh, I'm with you and whatever you need, we're all here to support you. Appreciate it. Always enjoy the conversation. Hopefully we can do it in person in the not too distant future. We will. We will. Maybe with masks, but we'll do it. Thank you so much for joining us this week. If you love this episode, please subscribe. We love having subscribers just like you. Download a few more episodes. And if you feel moved, we would so appreciate a review. I'd love to also hear your key takeaway. What impacted you from this episode? You can tweet me your answer and reach out on Twitter at Brian Kramer. That's Brian with a Y, Kramer with a K. And definitely be sure to join us in our Facebook group. We have just under 3,000 humans just like you and me looking to connect even more imperfectly. Until next time.